and welcome to Tell the Damn Story. I am Christopher Ryan, an award-winning hybrid author, teacher, multi-platform creative, and former award-winning journalist. And on the, also on the mic is Kids Comic Con and the Color of Comics exhibition founder, Juan Alex Simmons. He's an award winner since 1996, including an Inkpot Award for the San Diego Comic-Con and three, count them, three, count them, three Glyph Awards from East Coast Black Age of Comics Con. He has written Sherlock Holmes, Tarzan, Batman, Superman, and Scooby-Doo, along with Archie, uh, among many, 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 many more, and is the creator of the legendary African-American soldier of fortune, Aaron Blackjack Day, whose 30, 1930s adventures uh, comment on today's social problems. Mm-hmm. On Tell the Damn Story, we celebrate the trials and tribulations, the challenges and joys of creativity, and hopefully along the way, help you decide how you want to tell your damn story. Why listen to us? We've spent years in the trenches, paying dues, making mistakes that we've learned from, and earning victories the hard way. And we're still here, still creating, and offering advice on how you can keep creating as well. Alex, it's time to tell the damn story. All right, which story are we going to be telling today? Hey, Chris, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? I was there for the first story. You kidding me? <laughs> you wrote the first story. Didn't you? That's right. I was uh, there. Prior to cave paintings, he was writing stories. Yeah, my editor, my editor was God. They used to call him Yahweh. You know, I started with an action action moment in the beginning. He said, "No, no, no, no." I want the story to start in the beginning. I said, "No one will read that story." He said, "Listen, he was God, and he was Yahweh." I, uh, you had, you had to go with it. You had to go with it. Sometimes you just got to please the customer. He's got these editors. When they think they That's all right. I put a flood in soon after. That would be all right. Yeah, for the action sequence, right? It was a great action sequence. <laughs> My original version, the odd box saved everyone. But, you know, we you lost that in editing. Couldn't get enough aardvarks for that scene. Yeah. It's true, it's true. Well, we just needed the two, just the two. I was like, you can't save an entire arc with just two aardvarks. You need 12 at least. He wouldn't listen. <laughs> and funny that you should mention aardvarks and opening scenes and things, because that's what we're going to be talking about today. Not the aardvarks so much. Hey, gentlemen, <laughs> we're going we're to talk about... Uh, we're going to talk about... Um, Characterization. A very, very subtle argument that I'm having with Aaron Sorkin that he doesn't know about. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the you'll never know that. And uh, we're going to talk about story structure. And we're going to talk about opening scenes. Yes. All now, opening scenes. scenes. I remember opening scenes. I'm sure you do, sir. Just just sit back down. <laughs> okay. How did he get in here? Uh, All right. So, what a yes. so, Alex, very quickly, how are we doing this week? What's going on, man? Well, you know, this week is this week is this week. Uh, this week, what have been uh, some uh, writing this week? Uh, nothing that I can I can speak on now because I'm still under that. Uh, no, 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 you can't say nothing. But uh, doing some writing, uh, which is cool, and uh, also uh, doing some work with the uh, New York Film Academy, doing some more teaching. As uh, matter finishing up with an animation class, uh, screenwriting uh, with this animation group, and it was fun. A lot of fun, wild ideas. Uh, and, we'll, and actually, some of that's going to come up in our conversation, too, about students and wild ideas and story structure. And um, also, you know, Kids Comic Con, because you mentioned that earlier, uh, we are working hard to pull out or put out about five major projects uh, focusing on uh, young African-American, Hispanic, and uh, 
young men of color uh, through the uh, Young Men's Initiative and the City of New York program. We're doing um, workshops and panels with a number of artists, and so we're busting our chops to get these programs locked in and starting out at the within the first week of April. Uh, and you know, there's a lot more on that, but I'm just giving you the the brief overview. Cool, very cool, very cool. I um I have to thank someone for uh, yet another um, moment of generosity. Ah, um, I'm doing my fa- uh, follow up to the legendary Pulpster profile, ah, Pulpfest profile on Alex Simmons. Oh, <laughs> uh, the follow up is one. Joe R. Lansdale. Yes, yes. Uh, I, had, I actually had some great quotes from when we interviewed him for Tell the Damn Story. Yeah. And um, I just needed a couple of things to kind of tie it more into pulp, you know, and, and that. And um, sent him a quick email, you know, what do you think? Could you answer four questions? He said, sure. I sent him like seven. He answered them anyway. <laughs> good man, good the, man. The turnaround was quick. The answers were... Um, Put it this way, I have, I have so much Joe R. Lansdale. I have like 8,000 words. The story is contracted for 1,800 words. Oh, so, oh, 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 so, talk about abundance. Yeah, I have enough for another, you know, one or two stories. So I may be pitching some Joe R. Lansdale other places. Yeah. But he was very generous and he, I mean, that's a, kind of a signature of his so thank you joe um and um still reading um still reading roddy doyle's uh love um i tell you what to 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 suspend a conversation between two drunk men of my age Mm. for almost 300 pages is an is a narrative challenge and i'm in the not last like 70 pages and um I'm want, I'm wanting one of them drunks to get to the point. That's right at this point. <laughs> so, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, man. It, you know what? It's not like, it's not like the sponsor of our show, <laughs> Infinitum by oh, Tim cool. Fielder. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This is a graphic novel of epic proportions that tells a tale that go spans the the course of time and the cosmos. And if you haven't checked out Infinitum by Tim Fielder. One of our co-founders, let me tell you, go to the place where you buy books and say, hey, yeah, you, do you have Infinitum by Tim Fielder? Give me a copy. Too sweet. You got to put the too sweet in there or they'll never move. Get yourself and enjoy something. Infinitum by Tim Fielder. All right. We've done our our, our commercial for the day. So thank you very much. (laughs) We, we may come up with another one later, but you know what the heck. Open, but, yeah. open. Uh, so you were you were saying so Joe R. Lans- Joe R. Lansdale's uh, generosity has provided you with a great deal of material. Uh, what are you going to do with um, the the piece, the eighteen hundred piece? So what is that going to be? That's going to go in the in the the pulp store, uh, pulpfest dot com. It's the pulp uh, pulp profiles. Uh, I did my first one on a legendary author named Alex Simmons. Um, and the uh, follow-up is Joe R. Lansdale. So I'm doing pretty – they're doing pretty good by me. I signed me uh, some nice uh, authors, and um, it's uh, an outcropping or an um, online presence for the Pulp Fest in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is happening this August. So ah. uh, live, live in person. Live and in person. Celebrating the shadow and 
you know, they always celebrate Edgar Rice Burroughs and so many others and old romance pulps. There's going to be a little something for everybody this year. Ooh. So uh, make sure you go to uh, pulpfest.com or the pulpster and um, Check it see out. if you make reservations. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Check it out. Okay, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So where are we? What is this? Ah, uh, well, you know, argument you're having this this sort of on the down low argument or debate uh, or you know, it's so know. subtle that Aaron Sorkin has no idea it exists. Ah. Uh, as you and I have spoken about very often off camera and between episodes, is that we are always, and all writers should do this. We're always continuing our education. Mm-hmm. You know. And one of the things both of both you and I subscribe to is masterclass. Mm-hmm. So I got I got around to Aaron Sorkin's uh, masterclass, and um, he took on what is essentially the thing I espouse on this show a lot, which is character bios. You know, and I have that still yet to be uh, published. Um, 149 questions, uh, character questions. Mm-hmm. And I believe in those as way of um, kind of getting to know your character, you know. And uh, Aaron Sorkin. Why don't we, why don't we the, talk just a little bit about what the character bio is? Just just for somebody who may not be. I, I don't I don't believe in writing. A, you know, this is where uh, Sorkin and I agree, which he'll be very relieved by. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't believe in writing. Uh, you know. Our character's name is Adam. He was born on this date and this year, and when he was four years old, he discovered that he liked peanut butter. It, it, you know, he likes creamy, not chunky. This is paraphrasing Aaron Sorkin. Because Aaron Sorkin says, you know, and, and to go through and lock in someone's whole life, unnecessary. Unnecessary. But um, I do a thing, which we've talked about, uh, character bio questions. Where, mm-hmm. like I said, I think there's 149. There might be more now. Where I ask questions, and you apply them to your character, and um, it creates memories and knowledge about your character. You know, how much your character has during the during the story you're writing, how much your character has in his or her bank account, says something about them. You know, um, whether they like creamy or chunky peanut butter, I agree with Sorkin. Not as, you know, unless it comes up in the scene and you make it up on the spot. So I agree with Sorkin on that. But the impression I got was that he was like, just, you know, you gotta, he's always talking about um, intention versus obstacle, something like that. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, the rest of the stuff you, you kind of create and you discover as you go. And uh, I, be- I believe in a little more, a little more, um, set up and a little more getting to know your characters before that. And, you know, I, you know, walk around with index cards, uh, you know, ask these different questions and then whatever comes in, you know, scratch them down or whatever, or just know it in your head or whatever works for you. But the more you know your character, the, know, the more you know how your character is going to react, you know. So Hawkins seems to be saying intention. If you have a character's intention, that's enough. And that'll drive the character. Okay. I mean, he's Aaron Sorkin. I'm not. So, you know, he might turn around and say, Chris Ryan, let's see your resume. All right. So who are they going to believe? That's true. So, you know. um, But 
I believe in uh, asking questions of your character and finding out who they are before you start writing. You can always, that doesn't mean you're chiseling it into concrete or, you know, tattooing it onto your chest, but you're getting to know your characters. So, you know, Aaron Sorkin, touche. I disagree. Let me just jump on that with uh, a couple of things. One... Um, no, Sorkin listens, so we're going to hear back from him. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's going he's <laughs> to back this boat. It's terrible, it's terrible. Uh, no, but one of the things is, you know, I think that, and I've said this to my students a thousand times, there are different types of writers, there's different genres and all these kind of things, and, and when you're learning about writing, when you're, you're taking classes, courses, whatever... Um, you take from the professors, the teachers, the coaches, the guides, the mentors, what is useful to you. You play with it. You explore it. You pattern some things after it and see what, what works, what doesn't work. And what doesn't work, you discard and, and right on keeping on. So I think, you know, for some writers, just like, you know, planners versus pantsers, uh, there's some people who can have a plot idea and just sit down and start writing the book and discovering everything as they go. As they True, go. But I, I have to say, yeah, well, and I am very much against pantsing authors. Leave their pants alone. <laughs> yeah, leave those did, those I, did I get it wrong? I'm sorry. Did I misunderstood? I'm sorry. Yeah, you did. Right. Leave those pants. Uh, anyway, um, you know, again, sometimes you can sit down and, and just write, 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 and the words and everything's coming to you, and it just sort of blows out, and, and at some point you hit the end of the book, boom, there you go. Then there's the other folks who get lost in how to start it, uh, what to say, the messy middle. I have no idea how to end it. I'm going to take on a new idea because the old one's too confusing or overwhelming or I don't think it can get done. And therein lies, I think, the time period most certain when some planning is necessary and I think more knowledge of your characters and and, and certainly your plot, but of your characters, because a lot of the time for me and for some of the writers that that I, I hold uh, in high regard. Dialogue comes from the interaction of those characters mm -hmm. and it comes from what do they bring to the table, you know, metaphorically. So, you know, when a character is entering a scene, maybe they do have an intention. They have a goal. Yeah. You know, the scene has a goal. The character has a goal. They may not even be the same goals. But, yeah, there's, there's a point where it starts and a point where it's going to end, and we're going to see if they're going to get what they want to get. But ultimately, they had a life before that moment, and unless they die, you know, in that scene or in that film, they're going to go on afterwards. So where they're coming from and where they're going informs what they're going to do while they're here. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think absolutely... For a lot of writers, it is extremely useful to know more about your character right. so that you do have an idea of how they talk, what some of their history is, what are some of their relationships or their feelings about certain people or places or things, their cultural background, their education, things like that that inform you enough that, you know, whether it's a date scene, first date, and what are we going to talk about? or it's a threat scene or an assassination scene or whatever, you know enough about that character to get them to function in the scene right. in sort of genuine fashion. Right. So, and again, you know. With respect to Sorkin, I'm just playing. But, yeah, absolutely. Please. I mean, like but, you said, 
you're not him and I'm not him, and neither one of us has his bank account yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But I have a lot of respect for him and I've I've learned a lot from his writing and stuff. Um I just think that you know what, when when I when you take someone out to dinner, right? Mm-hmm. Someone might be a romantic dinner, right? And you're sitting across the table. You don't leap across, knock all the candles down, and just, you know, go right in for the guilt. No. Yeah. You have dinner, you have conversation, you get to know each other. You know, 34 years pass. and no, <laughs> But, you know, it's a, it's a development. You get to know each other. And I, and I believe writing is, you know, for me at least, it's a passionate thing. So I want to know the characters. I want to live with them. I want to uh, walk around with them. I want to see what they, how they act in the mall, you know. Mm-hmm. And... um it's a little influence of Joyce Carol Oates, who, who has to see everything before she writes. I don't have to go be that far. But I like to take a little bit and, and think about them a little bit, and the questions help. And like you say, whatever helps you take, whatever you don't. Um, I did like his intention versus um, obstacle, right? And, mm. and, and he said, you know, I don't, I don't think you can ever have a big enough intention or a big enough obstacle, you know, for someone to say, oh, that's, we can't have that story. It would sound like a great story. And I was playing with that. And to honor Sorkin, I'll give an example. The Odyssey. Right? What does Odysseus want? He simply wants to go home. What is the obstacle? The gods say no. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. you know, if you, you test his main uh, theory in this master class, it works for all the great stories. So there's a lot to learn from this young, this, this young man. And you know what? I have faith. I think he's going to go somewhere in this field. <laughs> Keep an eye on that Aaron Sarkin. You know, I, I, I refer to him in my classes quite often um, in terms of West Wing, in terms of the newsroom, in terms of a couple of other things that he's written, especially dialogue. Um, I think he's great with it. Um, and, yeah, I, I learned from him, absolutely. And I don't really feel like we're contradicting him as much as we're talking about the realities of choices and options. Yeah. Just having fun. You know, yeah. I was shocked when he, re- he mentioned the newsroom early on and, and said that he didn't think he ever got it right. Oh, my God. I was so shocked. So, you know, all writers are the same. Right? They never think their work is, is as good as people who appreciate it. Do, you know? So. But how do you get to that point? How do you get to that point of self-doubt? Story structure. Yes. That's how you get there. Nice gentlemen. segue there, fella. And we call that a segue. <laughs> yeah. Nice segue. So, segging right away there. Um, yeah, so, you know, one of the things that, that my students, you know, will do, and, and, you know, some of the people I coach, is they have an idea. They have an idea for a story. They have, you know, whether it's a mystery or a romance or a thriller or, or even a documentary, they have an idea for it. And, and the ideas the plurals start coming at them. Oh, I could do this and I could see that and maybe this could happen and they could, and we could add these. And, and, and then they're sort of caught in this whirlwind. It's like, it's like the tornado scene in the wizard of Oz. You know, it's like all these objects are flying around their heads like crazy and they don't know where to start, how to lay it out. And, and the ending is, is such an obscure thing at this point, you know, because how do I even get there? So I think that one of the things that, you know, I tend to do when I have a, a plot concept, and especially if it's a, a gangbusters kind of thing where, oh, man, the ideas are coming up like crazy, 
is I just, I do the first thing is I, I do a brain dump uh, or mind map. I let, I just put the ideas down. I don't judge them. I don't qualify them. I don't try and give them any order. I just drop them down. And, and it can be as random as one moment I'm thinking about a scene or an action or something. The next moment I've got this line that has nothing to do with the previous thing I was thinking about, but I'm going to jot down that line. You know, I don't even know if I'm ever going to use it, but hey, it's coming down. It's going down. And, and just letting the mind, the imagination, and I use this word more and more these days, play. You know, because a lot of times people look at the creative process as work. Oh, that's going to be so hard. I got to write this. I got to come up with this idea. Yeah, that's one way you could approach it. Or you could go, hey, I get to play. I get to play with these ideas, these concepts, these characters. I get to move things around. Because like you said, it's not chiseled in stone or brick. Initially, it's just thoughts and images and, and bits and pieces of conversation. So I brain dump everything down that I can. And sometimes that can take a few days. And then I go back and I start to circle or highlight the items that seem to connect. Right. right? Again, whether it's sequential or not is not really that important. The items that connect. Ooh, this goes with that and that could go with this. And, that. and then after that, I begin to look at some sort of sequence. And even in working out the sequence of events, I want it to feel organic. <laughs> You okay there, buddy? No. <laughs> okay. You know, I want it to be, I want it to feel like organic storytelling, like the, a, a natural flow of things. So right. I, I might go, you know, totally sequential. And then after that, either I will start writing or there might be one more step of where I go, okay, sequentially this could go like this. But what if... I switched this with that. What if I started here instead of there and then got to this later? Or So there's a certain amount of fluidity, of playfulness, of flexibility in getting the ideas out of my head, getting that on paper, uh, exploring the thoughts and concepts and dialogue, and then creating some sort of order or... Here we use the word structure. Okay. And that's where I go initially. So, that's how right. I go with we're, it. we're talking about phase one, and, 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 and phase one is not story structure. No. It's inspiration. And, you know, you do the uh, mind map. I do index cards. You know, I walk around and, and I'll pull out the author um, the character character questions for the character, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And, um, I'll do playlists, what I think the character would be listening to at this point of its, his or her life. And I'll walk, I'll walk the dog with that in my mind, you know, and a couple of index cards in my pocket. And that's all, that's all the pregame show. That's all the inspiration. And the editor doesn't need to be around. That's uh, right. Once you have a pile of all that stuff and everything is equally important, right? right then, then I get up and it's like a treat, you know, early in the morning, cup of tea and all of those cards. And I just I put them out and I put them in an order an order, not the order an order. And then that might work. And then I might walk away and, you know, the goddess gets up and then got to be sitting in front of her rather than this stuff. Cause she's got it. <laughs> so I'll go back to it the next day or whatever. And you refine it. You're like, yep, yeah, this works. This works for me. 
And then I put them away and only take a few out at a time when I'm writing it, you know. And what order they're in is follows a story structure that, that has worked for me. And you can do variations on it. But, you know, I really believe in getting down the foundations. You know, once you know that, then you can differentiate a little bit, you know. Everyone gets the uh, the dance steps down. Then they can put their little flourishes there. Yeah. Could go okay. with a different example, you know. Um, when Houdini was doing a trick, it sucked at the beginning. Everyone could see how it was done, so he didn't show anybody. And when it was refined and when it was smooth and organic, that's when they would show it. So all of this stuff is done just, you know, you do it in your room for you. I do it in my room for me. You know, we might say, listen, I'm thinking on this scene. What do you think? Or that kind of, but other than that, we don't tell anybody. And when you are writing through it, you know, even though I have a structure because I order, organize the, the, the index cards, I may see a problem. And that's okay. But you just switch it, switch it up, write a new index card, whatever, you know, add to the index card, well, you know, boom, boom, boom. And when you get it through, then it's rewrites, I believe, in rewrites. But the question was about story structure. And the one that I use is the hero's journey, uh, popularized or, you know, made famous by Joseph Campbell. But there's a, uh, let me see if I can find the author's he's in vast library right now because there are books yeah. everywhere around him. There are, in fact, books everywhere, and I love that. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, Let's see, where is it? Well, it's, a, it's actually a screenwriting book using the hero's journey. And it really takes Joseph Campbell, who can go on for hundreds of pages and, <laughs> and knocks it down to you know a couple of good, well-written sentences. Um, it's very possible that I lent, this is like my fifth copy, but I'm always lending it out. There you and go. Then, and there it goes. So it's called The Screenwriter's Journey. I forget the author's name right now. But it's called The Screenwriter's Journey. And if you uh, go to your favorite book ordering place or library or whatever, you can see it. And it's got a really concise explanation of Campbell's Hero's Journey. And then very, you know, strong but really short and concise explanations of what should happen each step. And once you have all your ideas, then you can look at that structure and say, all right, which of these ideas fit that part? And then you'll start seeing how your story goes. Now, it doesn't mean that every story you write has to be the hero's journey, right? Is this uh, screenwriter's journey written by Christopher Vogler? Yeah, that's him. Okay. Well done. Um, that's what I'm here for. You do, you do fine work there, sir. Um, <laughs> but it's a good tool. You know, there's a million, million yeah. books. That one's the one that I've gone back to for like 20 or 30 years now. He rewrites it every 10 years or so. Yeah, I think the third but, edition is out now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so. Um, but get a classic structure like that. You know, there's also the 20 master plots, the seven basic plots. The 45 master characters, you know, you can go for all that stuff 
and see which one you're going to hang your hat on or whatever works. But it's just a tool. It's not your story. It's just mm-hmm. a tool. You know, when I go to get socks, they're in the drawer. I don't wear the drawer. I just, it's a tool, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm hoping you don't. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I don't know. The wife might like that. Say, hello, goddess. Are you wearing a drawer? Yes. Yes, I'm wearing my (laughs) The two of them. So that's my suggestion for story structure is to be unstructured and just, you know, the aid of ideas. You know, and just have everything. Then you can pick and choose what works for you, what seems to become kind of coalesced into a coherent. And remember, remember, remember. You're in the drafting process. Yes. So many young writers think that as soon as they sit down, the will always be, that's going to always be the first word of my classic tome. It's just words on the screen. Yep. You know, and I mean, uh, I'm rewriting a book I won three awards for. You know, yep. it, it's because if, is the story where it needs to be? No. So, and I have the indulgence because that's independently published, but, you know, sometimes, you know, like Alex Simmons's first thousand stories, he just has to move on from because they're <laughs> traditionally published, you know, uh, when he put Barack Obama in the world of Archie, it stayed exactly how it was published. Yeah, well, yeah. He didn't go back and say, let me, let me gray out uh, Obama's hair because he's getting really gray. No, it just had to stay the way he was. And onwards to the next piece of history. Yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. We'll be back after a word for right now. Uh, so. so do you think we've covered structure? Do you have more to say on structure? Uh, well, you know, I, I think, again, what you're saying is pretty clear. And I think structure is it's it's interesting because I'm not sure that when people say structure, sometimes that they're thinking about it in the capsuled version. I think it's also... Could you explain that? What do you mean by capsuled version? Well, in in this case, like the hero's journey. Okay, so that's that's a sort of encapsulated um, process. And and you can follow that. It's a nice little map and everything. But I think, I think, and I think rather, that sometimes when people, especially uh, new writers, are talking about story structure, they're just they're not necessarily clear on hero's journey or some of the others as much as they're thinking, how do I lay out this story so that it has a beginning, middle, and an end, plot points that escalate to a climax, right, and then a resolution. You know, just prior to the ending of the tale. How how do I do that? Assuming that they, they are even aware oh, of some of those terms. Right. And 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 I think that learning the hero's journey and learning the stranger comes to town mm-hmm. structure. You know, famously there's only two kinds of story, right? Um learning them in you know, internalizing them, then when you go to your story, you know, the original one that is going to set the world on fire. Those are tools. Exactly. But you can, you can, you know, I mean, look at the French. They were like, ah, hero's journey. We'll cut off the first three steps, the last two steps, and good luck to you. You know? <laughs> we will not end our story. Everybody dies. Hell with you. Yes. And even that has a structure. And it's, you know, usually, you know, if you look at um, 
yeah, uh, Pulp Fiction or you look at um, any of Tarantino's stories, mm. he tends to do the hero's journey. And then like David Bowie did with lyrics, he'd chop them up and flip it around. You know, Pulp Fiction is really fun to watch in that way. Um, and um, watch it once, and then watch it and try and figure out which part of the journey is that segment. And then put them all back together in a chronological order, and you see it's the hero's journey. So, I mean, it's, it's just a tool. It's not, it's not the law, you know? No, you, even, even Memento, even Memento is is a hero's journey. It's just fragmented, you know. But once and, he's and, it out, yeah, and he's forced to look backwards all the time and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, you. Can, I mean, there's once you have it down, you know, it's like a guitar player or a musician, piano player, whatever. You learn the scales and oh, how boring that is. Sure, but the scales give you, I, you know, give you a a, a place to go from. Right. Oh, if I'm playing in this, you know, in this key, you know, there's this scale and that scale, and I that, and if I go astray from it, I'll get a nice dissonant tone. Or if I go and play more uh, flats, I'll get a, a, a more bluesy tone. And and it's all from knowing the, you know, the basic, you know. <laughs> so learning your foundation, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So, <clears throat> so we let's let's assume that the people have, have, have done this. They've, they've, they've got that structure. They've, they've chosen um, the, the pathway for their story to travel on. They've worked out some of the uh, character bio questions, mm-hmm. so they have a more fleshed-out understanding of their character or characters. And uh, they're, they're ready to start writing. So Okay. I got an idea for you. Everyone wants the opening scene, right? There you go. Yep. I got an idea that's based on um, how I teach uh, essay writing to my students, right? We got to do like the college essay. I teach senior high school seniors. So we start that. And inevitably, there's about 30% of them that I say the following to. Um, So uh, I read your essay. You know, paragraph two? Yeah, I, I, yeah. That's your first paragraph. Throw your first paragraph out. That was you warming up. Paragraph two. But that that's only four. Don't worry about it. We'll get there. We'll get we'll we could add another one in. No one knows. Everything's fine. <laughs> you know? And uh they I mean they're angry because, you know, well, first draft is gold. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And, and it's as as true for me and you as it is for them. So I'm going to apply that to opening scene. And here's a suggestion I have. Write 10 cents. Right? You should be able to explain your idea. Once you walked around with you know, it in your head and a digest and maybe wrote notes, you should be able to you know, write down the, the pitch of your idea. One to three sentences. Tw- you know, if you can do it in one sentence, is the best. But like 25 words or less. Right? And then here's the exercise. Write ten sentences, okay? The that each sentence kind of moves the story along. Don't worry about it. Just write ten sentences. Then when you do, and you look at it, and you say, "Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my story." Then look at like sentence three or four as your possible opening. And a lot of times you'll be like, "I uh, would be a better opening." 
right? So sometimes, you know, in, in, in classic Greek, in medias res, right? In the middle of things, right? Start, start in, and then you can always fill that other stuff in a little bit, you know? So, yeah. That's my suggestion for opening scene is to, yeah, write it and then go a little below your first thing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, with, with, you know, this so-called award-winning novel that I'm rewriting, chapter two was the original first chapter. You know, and in, in looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, I had to face the, the, the truth that it needed something else. Um, so I really have two openings, and that's when I realized I was telling two stories in the same novel, and they were going to go, like, you know, intertwine mm-hmm. and stuff. So, okay, let's, let's see where that takes us. You know, and again, even if you do it, <laughs> you, you're not married to it, right? You're not, you know, you're not, you're not burning it into your forearm. It's just, Ow. it's just zeros and ones on the screen, baby. You can play around, but it's, it's simpler to do it in sentences because you can do a hundred sentences and, you know, Right, you do ten. I didn't like those. Let me rewrite it. You can do. You can redo ten sentences in an hour, half an hour. You know, and then and then you really know how your first steps are. All right, sir. Now that I've said my, you know, <clears throat> minor crappy minion type of slush on the corner of the streets with that idea, let's hear from the master. What do you got, bro? What is it? Look at you. What is you know you are. You're your a screwed up <laughs> Swedish fish. Spit out. <laughs> and stepped on by a squirrel. That's all your idea is. Watch me. I'm the master. Go ahead. Peter Sellers moment. Inspector Clouseau with the minky. Okay. Um, one of the, one of the things, yes, bite? in talking about is, opening scene. Did your dog talk, bite? No. Let's see. What? Did your dog bite? No, no, my yeah, no, 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 no. yeah, it's not my dog. Yes, right. yes. Okay, now we start quoting lines from the Pink Panther. Anyway, um, okay. So opening scenes. One of the things that I you know, and it's all very, 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 very useful is what uh, Chris was saying. But one of the things that, um, or and one of the things that I tend to uh, also like to share, especially with the screenwriting classes, is what is your. Uh, what is what is going to intrigue or compel your audience to follow along on this story? Yeah. Opening scenes, I mean, and there's such a wide variety of it depending on the type of story that you're telling. If you're going to tell a sort of a Walton's uh, kind of story with uh, uh, the 30s and the Depression period and farmland and, and a family tale of of just some personal stripes and things like that, that's, that kind of story is going to require one particular type of opening, and then that would be what's the story about, and then you would start to figure, how can I salt just a little bit of an uh, indication about where the story's going to go? <clears throat> but again, the feel and the genre and the time period would affect that opening. You're going to do a spy thriller, which is going to have a lot of uh, assassinations and... and, and uh, uh, fight scenes and chase scenes and things like that, you might open up that story with a, a different feel, a different location, um, the mood, and, the, and maybe it's nighttime and that sort of thing. And again, you're going to uh, suggest some element that's going to be titillating and say, ooh, this is what I'm going to be getting out of this story. Let me, let me follow it even further. 
if you're going to do something like a psychological thriller, like, like a psycho or something like that, you might start out with a somewhat mundane moment. And then as we're experiencing this mundane moment with this character, you start to slip in an undercurrent of something suggestive, suspicious, even maybe slightly threatening or uncomfortable. And you bring that just, it's like, it's like turning up the fire under a pot, you know, just, just enough so it starts to simmer. Right. And th that begins to tease your audience like, oh, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm, I'm seeing one thing, but I'm getting this other vibe here. What, what's happening here? What is it? And it pulls your audience in. Right. Your opening scene should not be bland. It should not be blasé. It should either, via action or dialogue, Drip out just enough information to entice your audience and stimulate curiosity so that they need to know what's going to happen next, whether it's a promise of a bloodbath or seduction or a piece of, in, of intelligence or information that's going to be very compelling and revealing. You want to suggest enough to make me want to go, okay, I got to sit here and watch this. Right. Or I got to turn the next page. I got to I got to keep going chapter by chapter because it's pulling me in. So you want to advance the plot by you know uh, advance the overall plot in a series of plot points, knowing that each scene is going to have just enough or render enough information to take us to that next scene. So your right. opening scene is very important. It's like the first page of a novel. You know how many people go to a bookstore or online. And they read that first page, and if the first paragraph or so doesn't get them, right. on to the next. Right. So again, think about how do I entice, how do I seduce, how do I intrigue, compel my audience to want to know more so and, they, they stay with the story. I would add to that, you know, most of your students, most people are writing their first book first mm -hmm. screenplay we have to understand that no matter what they know the people who are looking to buy it or you know enjoy it or consume mm -hmm. it they're coming to this world new yeah they neither want to be overloaded nor lost right so you know a character moment character introduction will go further than, you know, five hours of, well, you know, five pages of description about the city of Chicago or something like that, you know. Yeah. Um, we also have, you know, a lot of our references, a lot of our information these days are sequels or, you know, the 38th thing in a sequence, you know, if we're going to go with Marvel or something. And... If you're going to look at that, look, okay, what did we know about that character mm. <clears throat> that allowed us in, right? And um, to use Marvel, Marvel, you know, if you're a Disney Plus person, um, they just started Fal uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But they have a, another show, a little clip show called um, Legends. And then you can watch the character, and they'll just show you all the little bits of, you know, pertinent screen time that it, that character was on. And watch it. That's, all right, how did they introduce this character, right? The very first moments of that. And it'll give you ideas of, oh, this is how we introduce, you know. Or if you're watching movies, be sure, you know, if you're, so as a student, 
be sure you know whether you're watching a sequel or a part of a series because they can build upon previous knowledge or a standalone. Like the movie Seven, that's a standalone movie. So the opening credit sequence is all atmosphere and unsettling. But when they cut, it's all mundane. Mm-hmm. It becomes very police procedural. So you're unsettled from this, the, the opening sequence, the credits, but it's not, that's not story. There are elements that you see that you don't understand that eventually pay off. Oh, oh that's what we were seeing. Yeah. When you come in, it's, you know, it's rain, it's city, it's, you know, uh, a, a jaded detective. You know, it has reset, and that's the opening of the story, you know? Works extremely well. Yes. You know? Watch Lethal Weapon 1 and then Lethal Weapon 2, right? Now, those are just generic, not that great, you know, they're, they're popcorn movies, right? Yeah. There's so much more setup in Lethal Weapon 1. Lethal Weapon 2 starts at a, um, a chasing because you one because they're relying on there, but also the screenwriter. God forgive me, I don't know the person's name. Black cleverly Black, was it? It might have been Jack Black. Yeah, it might have been. No, Jack. Shane. Shane Black. Shane Black. Shane Black. Jack Black, hold him, guy. It would have been a yeah. whole different movie. Yeah. Uh, they would have opened with. They would have opened shooting the car through a big donut. Um, so, <laughs> so Shane Black starts. Opening with a, a high-speed chase and Mel Gibson and woohoo and all that crap. But even there, well, Shane Black is a good enough writer, great enough, solid enough writer, gifted enough writer to know I'm setting the world because I'm about to change it. They are those two characters are deep into the cop thrill ride life, and then world of South African politics are going to invade that, you know, and that goes back to our hero's journey. The ordinary world for these two is high-speed chase. The special world is global politics, and that's going to be the challenge because they are not equipped at first to deal with that, and, you know. And obviously, Shane, Shane wasn't either because Shane actually wrote the first lethal weapon, and a Jeff Bomb. Or Bohm. Like I was saying, yeah. Jeff Bohm, really yeah. great job on that second lethal weapon. <laughs> I don't know Jeffrey where we Bohm. got the Shane Black information. Well, that was a first but it wasn't, hey, that was it, it wasn't us. One. It wasn't us. I know that. You know who it was? Aaron Sorkin. Damn it! Damn it, Aaron! <laughs> Misinforming us! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're saying. You know, you trust a guy like Sorkin, and he tells you Shane Black wrote Leave a Weapon too. <laughs> I just can't believe it. Yeah, sorry about that, Jeffrey. <laughs> Jeffrey Bond, we apologize. Yeah. Um, some suggestions. Do we do we have more to say about opening scenes? Well, I would. I was just going to say that it's funny. You know, in in terms of opening sequences or opening scenes, uh, I just saw The Courier. Uh, the, the, the film that was released recently uh, with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as, as a star. Right? And I have to be specific because there's two The Couriers. 
There's The Courier from 2019, which is not the movie I'm talking about with Gary Oldman, but The Courier that was released recently with Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, Merab Nindit, and I'm sure I'm not pronouncing his last name properly. It's N-I-N-I-D-Z-E. Hold on a minute. Yeah, I'll, I'll on Alex, that Gary Oldman. Uh, what was what was happening in that movie? Remind me about that. In that movie, it was it was like um, oh god, jeez, it was it was a, a typical situation of uh, just mob boss, uh, stoolie, yeah. uh, witness protection, hidden in an old building, mm. assassins coming after him, and some motorcycle riding messenger, and I think it's a woman. Um, mm up having to protect them and fight off everybody under the sun uh, as they try to escape the building. That was pretty yeah, much yeah. See, I remember that because uh, it, it was a buddy cop movie. It was Courier and Ives. And oh, jeez. Spoilers. <laughs> Ives didn't make it. That's Ives didn't make it out. Courier. Right. Okay. That's what yeah. that was. No, that's, so that's we're talking about that Courier movie. We're talking about <laughs> the Courier of Wait, uh, who's that? with Benedict. Yes, with Benedict. Brian, Benedict Briar Patch, right? No, no, geez, thank you, old boy. Yeah, go, get, get this man another shot. Yes, <laughs> I remember. Um, but anyway, this, that, this he movie, was a he was a child actor. He was Brian Patch back then. But, you know. <laughs> this movie, The Courier, with Benedict Cumberbatch, released recently. Um, it, it's about the Cold War. It's about uh, a situation. I'm, I'm not going to do a spoiler thing, but basically, it's about spies. It's a spy thriller. It's about uh, Russian secrets and and a British uh, gentleman who winds up being a courier for the British spy network and yada yada yada, and it's very much more of a of an espionage uh, mind game kind of story. It's not a lot of you know shooting and and things blowing up and stuff like that, and it takes place around the Cuban Missile Crisis mm. and the opening scenes of that, of this film, establishes two, our two lead characters in two very different settings. And one appears to be somewhat mundane at first, a lot of suits and ties sitting around listening to someone speak, and you, you're, you're getting shots that are showing the neck down and not the neck up initially, so you're not really identifying with anybody in particular, but you're understanding that the, the material, what you're hearing is in a different language, uh, which you eventually pick up on as Russian. And, you know, so you're, you're, being, you're being introduced to these characters in this sort of sedate situation, but somehow it feels like there's some tension there. And then we finally get a shot of our lead character from the Russian side of it, and we can tell by his expression that whatever is going on is intense, and it's very important, and, and somehow you get the sense that some decisions are being made that could involve millions of lives. You just you just get a hint of it, and then you cut to another scene with three guys playing golf in a, in the British uh, countryside. So it's and this is establishing Cumberbatch's character, who we don't see his face much either in this opening sequence, but we get a sense of the setting. So it's creating a sense of place and time and two different lifestyles that are about to intermingle. And, and that's, that's the, the opening sequence. And then as the story builds, the suspense builds, the questions begin to come. And, and of course, going back to our first thing about characters, you begin to learn more and more 
about each character in terms of their day-to-day lives, but then also their family, their background, their politics, so forth and so on. But so, now, if we go, if go back to that opening. Yeah. What you see from what you said, you know, Alex Simmons is the holder of the championship belt of most adorable non-spoiler in the Internet. Um, he's not going to spoil for you a movie that came out pre-pandemic after a year in which everyone in the world watched the entirety of Netflix. That's how honorable Alex Simmons is. <laughs> but if we just go with the, what you've described, right, you have the espionage type of scene, and then they consciously go as far away from that as possible to set up this character they're going to want you to watch as the fish out of water he's going to be, the person who's going to have to go from this journey to that journey, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there are subtle things. If you watch, see, I bet you are going to find he is in that scene, that golf scene, whatever. He's going to have an ability to do a, a nice thing for someone that will not benefit him. If you see that, that means they want you to root for that character as a good guy. Or, and you can see this in Dr. Strange, Cumberbatch does this really well. You're going to watch him be an asshole to somebody so that you can say, oh, this guy, hmm, I'm not going to like him. And then watch him get to be a noble, get to be a better person. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, those are it, it's the you know, those little character moments that you can put into the opening scene that can set this. You know, you're called planting the seeds. You're, you're planting the seeds of how you want to see how you're, you want the reader or the viewer to see this character. Mm-hmm. And that's one of, the, one of the beauties of rewriting, you know, uh, whether you're a, a plotter or you've been pantsed. Um, it's in the rewrite where you can go back, and if it's not there, you can put that seed in there, you know. Mm-hmm. Or if it's too obvious, you can make it more subtle. It's just, you know, it's just being a, a gesture. I haven't seen this scene, but, you know, allowing someone to, you know, tee off before him. Just a little something like that, you know. Or blocking someone and teeing off first, you know. Oh, asshole. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's it could be the, the smallest little thing, you subtle, know. Subtleties are sometimes the most telling. Yeah. yeah I agree. Okay. Well, that was fun. That was yes, fun. Well, you know. Yes, we, we've covered characterization, structure, story structure, and uh, opening scenes. Yep, and we did battle with Aaron Sorkin in a way that he will never know. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll never hear about this, trust that, me. That's <laughs> right. Next week, I'm going to be out, and this little blonde guy will be like, where is he? <laughs> I'll kick his ass, Aaron Sorkin. On, <laughs> on the hunt for Chris Ryan. Yeah, all right. Sorkin versus Ryan. <laughs> About one. That so, would have to be a pay-per-view. We'd have to monetize that bad boy. <laughs> so, um, as always, Chris, it has been a joy, a pleasure. Uh, folks, you know, anybody who has any questions or, or thoughts about what we've talked about today, please, please, please drop them in the comments. Yeah. Uh, shoot us an email, you know, send up a flare, something like that. Give us a suggestion of 
best openings you've ever seen Ooh, or yeah. ever read, you know? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Moby Dick, call me Ishmael. Doesn't say anything. Yeah. It says the tone, right? Well, yeah. what kind of, he could be a taxi driver. We don't know. It was but, the best of times. It was the worst of times. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right, and, uh, and and we'll be here next week with, with more thrills and, and spills and, and, and more crotchety old men. <laughs> we had the up security. I don't know. I, I thought that might have been Sorkin. I was getting a little worried, but, you know. <laughs> we'll take care. Okay, so, Chris, yeah. as always, a pleasure. You too, sir. It's my honor to be in your presence every week. Thank you, everybody, for the opportunity to do, uh, to have conversations with Alex Simmons, because otherwise he'd have no reason to talk to a lowly, just bump on a sodden yeah, log. Like, I heard in a nothing bump. from him for over 183 <laughs> episodes, not to mention 30-plus years of friendship and working together. Yeah, and, and by the way, you know, one of the things we should do again, just again, I know we're, we're taking time saying goodbye. One of the things we I should do again, I we, should do, we should do another one of those, those challenges that we haven't done in a long time, which is where we, we each write something and reveal. We, we go through the process and, and do a, a final reveal or read segment thereof here on the show. I think that's. I think let's uh, let's open it to you know suggestions, and we'll cogitate on it over the week and see what uh, where we could go with that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, we we are like I said, this is like episode one eighty three. I think it's. Oh, geez. Right. So we're getting closer and closer and closer to episode two hundred. So you know, we got to start thinking special things for that time period as we close in on that. Yeah, Kayla. Okay. Episode two hundred. Yeah. The Madison Square Garden. Set up the boxing ring, Ryan Sorkin. That's it. <laughs> you, you know, you need to go take the meds now. <laughs> take care. All Chris. right, then. Peace, Bye-bye. everybody.